Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. True intelligence isn't only cerebral, its roots lie in clear feeling. Cleverness usually indicates only narrow feelings. And this is a very sort of interesting thing that one gets a feel for over time. I mean, some people can really hold forth just beautifully. They know all about current events. They know all about um, other cultures. And they just have a wide variety and they're well-read and they can hold forth on different ideas and sometimes be quite entertaining and quite interesting um, and seem quite bright. But there, there's, there can be, and this is what Swami's trying to uh, touch on here, there can be a certain... Um, I, the only way I can think about it is it's an ungrounded kind of approach to life. And I mean, the word, he uses the word intelligence and cleverness, and I, th those, those two words don't quite say exactly what the way I understand it, because a person can be very intelligent without, well, I want to almost use the word wise, but it's not even just wisdom. It's just that people can be clever. They can just put all kinds of different things together and they can see the relationship of this and this and this. But it's the feeling quality behind words and behind ideas and behind thinking that, that grounds them in life experience and actually makes them practical in, in a very interesting sense in completely other contexts. Swamiji has talked about the, the way that the masculine and the feminine works together. Now, traditionally we talk about men and women, but I know everybody's so hypersensitive to anything that sounds like that, but that's the best way to talk about it. The, the reason quality the, uh, the reason quality in, in masculine vibration, whether it's a man or a woman, whoever it is, it tends to just see lots of things. It's very clever. It can think things out. But, uh, but unless there is a f some, uh, some feeling that moves us to act, our ideas remain completely abstract. We can, you know, just talk about, you know, what's needed to solve the starving, the problem of starvation for the children in the inner city, you know, four miles from where I happen to live, I can have all the ideas in the world that I have about that, but I'll just sit around and be clever about it. I have lots of thoughts. But if feeling comes in, then all of a sudden there is a compelling need to do something about it. And all of those ideas suddenly have to be practical and applied in the real world. So traditionally, the statement that behind every great man there's a great woman, they're actually really talking about the interplay of reason and feeling. Because the traditional image of a man is that he's stronger in reason than in feeling, and the traditional idea of a woman is that she's stronger in, in feeling than in reason. And I'm not using human uh, stereotypes. This is the feminine. Feminine is feeling. Masculine is reason. Yin is feeling. Yang is reason. And then we get all outs outside of the sex issue, the gender issue altogether. And yin and yang have to work in cooperation or else nothing gets done. 
If we're only yang, we just talk and talk, and we're so clever, and we have so many good ideas, and we know just how it should be fixed. But when yin gets involved, there's a compelling feeling that says we have to do something. So what Swami is talking about here also is real intelligence has a, has a practical expression in life. It doesn't just entertain itself. It actually does something. Cleverness just entertains itself. So what he's really urging upon us is that we, one, not become enamored of people who are only clever. See, that's what happens sometimes, too. We, we become enamored of someone because they're clever, and we think they're actually smart. <laughs> but they're not smart in the sense of being able to make something happen in life. They're just clever because they can talk at the dinner table. And we can be clever about certain things as long as we ourselves know we're just being clever. I remember in the context with Swamiji, there was a department in our community that um, the manager just wasn't... He, the manager was a very capable man in certain areas, but he really didn't have a feel for what he was trying to do there. It just wasn't his strong suit. And so many things were not operating well. And another man who was quite expert in his particular field and was actually a very, had a very strong and practical mind in many ways, he wrote Swami Kriyananda a letter explaining what he thought was going wrong in this other department, explaining it very clearly. I was Swami's secretary. The letter came to me first. I read it. I thought, my, this is a really good letter. He's really analyzed the problem well. And so I gave it to Swamiji, thinking that Swamiji would think it was a really good letter too. Swami read it. And partly I believe this is for my benefit, but it's also how he felt. He took the letter. I, ne I never saw him do anything like this at any other time. He crumbled it up in his hand. He threw it on the floor. He said, anybody can tell me what's wrong with the situation. What I need is someone who says, I'll take responsibility. I'll fix it. And that, that was the difference between being really intelligent in your way of approaching life or just being clever. Man was very clever. He explained everything that was wrong. But what, what good would it do, Swamiji? And the implication also was that Swami didn't know that. He knew all of that. But he had to find the person who was willing to take responsibility to fix it. So that's also partly what Swami is talking about. And we ourselves need to be very um, thoughtful about how we express ourselves because we can also fool ourselves. We can imagine that we're really being intelligent just because we're very, very clever. And, and it, it also depends on what your definition of intelligence itself is. And so now I'm going to move a little bit into the wisdom side of things. And there's uh, I, the, the first time I met Swami Kriyananda, which was uh, uh, at the end of November in 1969, he was giving a lecture at Stanford University. I happened to be living near there. I wasn't going to school. I had long since dropped out at that point. And uh, he wasn't actually speaking for the university, but he was speaking on the campus. He walked into the room before he said a word. I felt his consciousness, and I recognized in his consciousness what I was trying to become. And my in intuition said, he has what I want. And I made an instantaneous decision that would have been foolish, except more than 50 years later I've never wavered and has never let me down. So it's proved to be the right thing. But I'd never heard him speak. And then he spoke, and he, he gave a lecture. I remember nothing of what he said, really not a word. 
But, I, but when he finished, I thought, this is the most intelligent man I've ever met, which was nice, because I enjoy intelligence. It's a, it's, and I, I, I mean this sincerely, it's a hobby of mine. It's just like, I like words, I like thoughts, I like thinking, I like figuring things out, but I don't want to be just clever. I, what I really want is I want to be wise. And as I got to know Swamiji, I realized that he was highly intelligent by any measure, including being well-educated, being, he, he speaks, he spoke eight languages, he'd lived all over the world. I mean, he had all the signs of, you know, a very refined and sophisticated intelligence. But he wasn't just intelligent, he was wise. He could, he could act on what he knew. And he could take what he knew and he could make it practical and he could make it work not just for himself, but he could make it work for hundreds of other people. He could just find a way to translate all that perception into positive, uplifting action. And I began to be immensely curious as to, he was just so good at problem solving. He was so creative at finding solutions. Even when the rest of us, which was my whole batch, whole batch of Ananda devotees, my batch mates, which is a wonderful word I learned in um, India. I always think of us as all being cookies on the same sheet, <laughs> you know, going in the oven together and coming out all finished and brown and crisp, you know, together. Because I'd never heard the word batch except for cookies until I heard it applied to people. So my batchmates, my batchmates at Ananda, um, we, were, we were a capable lot. We were both clever and intelligent more clever than intelligent, but we were learning. But Swamiji, just, we'd, we'd present him with problems that we'd struggled with for a long time, and he would just always, he'd always see his way through it. <clears throat> and I began to really want to understand the secret of his extraordinary ability. And I understood that he was intelligent, but it was so much more than that. And then I really perceived, which I had always watched, when he was a young man, he had a very distinctive silhouette from the side, viewed from the side, not just his profile, not just his face, but his silhouette from the side. Because if you thought of sort of the, the prow of a ship, you know, the prow of the ship is what cuts through the water, and they usually make it very narrow, so they can cut through the water and then it widens out and the boat follows behind it. Well, when you looked at Swami's silhouette, the prow of the ship for him, moving through life, was his, actually his heart. His shoulders were back, his, his heart was uplifted. And as a result, the plane was broken first with his heart. And his head was right behind it. But I began to observe, both in myself and in other people, this tendency to protect the heart, which is what makes people hollow-chested or make them round-shouldered. It's actually a desire to pull the heart in and sort of protect it with the rest of your anatomy. Or an inclination to operate from the, from the left brain, especially from the frontal lobe, there's a tendency to lean forward, to actually thrust the chin out and lean forward. And then your silhouette, you'll see the prow of the ship is the left, the left lobe of the brain, the left brain, or maybe the brain itself, but usually it's the left brain that's pushing like that. And so where is the greater wisdom? Well, in the tradition of Sanatana Dharma, the heart is the origin point of the self. The, the, um, when Master talked about being in cosmic consciousness and viewing in his, uh, the entire cosmos in the chapter of his book, In Autobiography of a Yogi, 
um, he talks about going into cosmic consciousness and seeing this the vast heavenly realm, which he called the Empyrean, which is this huge heavenly realm. The center of that was a point of intuitive perception in his own heart. This is where the feeling nature resides. And feeling is the fundamental character of consciousness. And that feeling is joy. You know, there's a lot implied in those short words, but that's what we're talking about. So Swami's ability to be completely unafraid, he just, he had an unprotected heart. And reason follows feeling. If we are emotionally prejudiced in a certain way, our mind will pick up all the reasons in the world why it's true. That's why even very intelligent people can be bigots, racists, even worse than that. You know, many of the Nazis were very intelligent people and yet they bought into this idea that somehow exterminating the Jews was a good idea and that the whole thing worked out because there was a prejudice of the feeling, a need to be superior, a desire for power, uh, an inability to stand up to wicked authority, whatever it was, there was some feeling aspect of it that then twisted the reasoning. And so feeling, when feeling is completely calm and unbiased, and the reason we have biased feelings is because we have fears. It's always because we're afraid. We're trying to compensate for something. That's what makes us afraid. You know, we're afraid, afraid we'll be punished, afraid we'll be discovered, afraid we'll be unmasked, afraid we'll be hurt, we'll be disappointed. There's always a fear. And that's why we pull in the heart and pull the shoulders forward and lean with the brain. Swamiji was unafraid. He was unafraid of truth. What is, is. And as a consequence, being completely unafraid of truth, he had a perfectly clear mind because there was no distorting feeling to confuse his reason. In fact, there was the purest and strongest feeling of all. I am a child of God. I am a part of all that is. All sentient beings are equally divine. We are one in the spirit. What is there to fear? Very, very interesting. I've spent all of my life trying to cultivate within myself that same fearless devotion to truth and the clarity of mind that comes with it. So, my friends, Swami says, don't confuse intelligence with cleverness. True intelligence isn't only cerebral. Its roots lie in clear feeling. Cleverness usually indicates only narrow feelings. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.